0: You're listening to teaching from the Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. We're talking about our Cinderella story, 1985 Uh, One of the greatest Cinderella stories of all time. The team went one and seven against top 20 teams. They were an eighth seed. No one expected them to advance very far. They barely got past the first round against Dayton. They beat them by two. Then they surprised Michigan, the number one seed, 59 to 55. Then they squeaked by number five, Maryland, 46 to 43. Then they thumped Richard Hamilton's North Carolina, number two seed, 56 to 44. And and then they get to the final four, and, and they beat number two, Memphis, 52 to 45. And then they shocked number one, Georgetown, a very talented team, 66 to 64. Does anybody know who this Cinderella is? Who? Villanova is correct. Villanova. Uh, they were the lowest seed. No, no, no one expected Villanova to win. The, the experts said, yeah, they might get past round one. But no one expected them to win the national championship. Actually, they're the lowest seed to ever win a national championship. They were one of three teams with 10 losses to win the national championship. It kind of reminded me of the apostle that we're talking about today. It was pretty unlikely that he was going to be an apostle. I mean, he was a simple man. He just caught fish for a living. But as, as we dig in, and I was thinking about Peter Uh, we've been looking at the apostles over the last several weeks, and and we've noticed that some of them have some flaws, some of them aren't perfect, but at the same time, they have been faithful. And and those are all things that we can learn about in our life, that that we want to be all in, we want to be faithful, we want to be committed, we want to be sold out for Christ. And we see the same thing with Peter. Peter wasn't perfect by any means. I mean, he stuck his foot in his mouth many times. He was impulsive. He denied Christ three different times. Yet, if we look in the book of Acts, he becomes a leader in the church. He preaches in Acts chapter 2, and 3,000 people end up getting baptized. Acts chapter 3, there's a crippled man, and he ends up healing him. What we see, I think, in Acts chapter five, there was many people who had unclean spirits, and he ended up healing them and others. People were so interested in Peter, they just wanted to stand in his shadow, hoping to be healed. When we move, I think, to Acts chapter nine, and he ends up raising Dorcas back to life. And Peter, though, didn't start off that way. He would have kind of been like a 16th seed in the tournament. I mean, no one expected him to advance, but he ended up doing great things. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 5 with me. Luke chapter 5, it begins, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Geseret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets." Lake Gesseret, or also called the Sea of Galilee, or the Lake of Galilee, was actually a lake. It was about 12 miles north and south, about seven miles wide in its widest spot, with depths of 200 feet. It was surrounded by mountains known for its storms. Uh, fishing, with, along with agriculture and shepherding were three of the main jobs there. But fishing was very popular this Sea of Galilee was known to have all types of fish. Actually, there's a rabbinic exaggeration that said there was 300 types of fish. Again, it was an exaggeration, but the whole point was there was tons and tons of fish. And, and guess what? The government said, oh, you know what? We can make some money off of this. And so we'll tax our fishermen. And, and, and so Peter, of course, and everyone that were fishermen were taxed a lot by the government. Now, just an interesting side point, we know that Matthew was a tax collector. And and chances are, Peter had some encounters with Matthew, probably trying to tax him. And and you can imagine some of the conversations they probably had once they became apostles. So here's what's going on. we got fishermen, and they've been fishing all night. And, and, And they don't catch anything. They were skunked. And back then, you had three different types of nets. You, you had a smaller net that you'd throw out individually. And then you had a medium-sized net that you tended to work in teams. And then you had a larger net that was more like a drag net that you worked with in boats. But it was a lot of uh, motion of moving back and forth, dragging those nets. I mean, you ended up having to be pretty tough, pretty strong to be pulling in the nets constantly. And, and so here they are. They fished all night, didn't catch anything, and they're untangling their net. They're they're cleaning them. They're getting the the weeds out. They're getting the rocks. They're getting the pebbles. They're most likely mending some of the nets because nets would break. And and then they would lay them out, and they would tend to make sure that they would dry by the next time that they would fish. And and so this is going on. There's a couple boats there, and, and Jesus comes, and he's got this big crowd with him. And Jesus says, you know what? I need a place that everyone can see me, and, and I need a good microphone, and, uh, and, and so I need to find a place that everyone can hear me. And so he goes and picks a boat, and he gets into the boat, and, and we're going to see in verse 3, it says this. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him, put out a little from, uh, from the land. And he sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon. Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And when Simon answered, he said, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. Now, here's the part that you might miss. I mean, Jesus was a carpenter, and he's telling Peter, a guy who has fished all of his life, how to fish. I mean, it's like me going to Mr. V, Mr. Richard V right here that does ACs and heaters. It's like me going up to you and saying, Mr. V, this is how you need to fix this. And Mr. V might smile at me. He's like, this kid didn't know anything. I've been doing this before he was born. It'd be like me telling Monica how to play the violin or the guitar. It'd be like me going to Bob Pompa and telling him how to build something. I mean, here Jesus is telling Peter, this fisherman, this something that he's done all of his life, Hey, this is what you need to do. And Peter has to be thinking, Jesus, don't you know, you don't catch fish in deep water at this time. This isn't the time where all the fish are. On top of that, on top of that, we've been fishing all night and there's not any fish. This isn't the best time. But notice what Peter says. He calls him Master. He says, Master, because you said so, I'm going to do it. This isn't Peter's first encounter with Jesus. He's actually followed him for nine months. Peter was one of John the Baptist's disciples. He probably watched Jesus get baptized. He probably saw that water turning into wine. He saw the cleansing of the temple. He saw people healed. But Jesus comes back to Peter's hometown, and guess what? Peter's got nine months of bills to pay. And and so he goes out, and he goes fishing. And and he goes fishing, and he doesn't catch anything, and he's got to be pretty discouraged. And Jesus says, "Um, you know what? No problem. No problem. I I, I know that it's the wrong time. I know that this isn't when the, the fish should be biting. But I want you to do this. And Peter says, okay, even though it doesn't make sense, I'm going to do it. Sometimes Jesus asks us to do things like that, right? And sometimes he says, hey, I want you to do something really crazy, and I know it doesn't make sense, and I know your friends say you're crazy for doing it, but, but I just want you to do it. And, and Peter takes this step of faith, and he does it. Let's continue reading. It says, and when they had done this, they enclosed What? A large number of fish, and their nets were what? Breaking. They they signaled to their partners to the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled what? Both boats. Not just one boat, but both boats, and they began to what? I, I think this is one of the most overlooked miracles in the Bible. Jesus says, nine months of bills, no problem. One catch. I'll take care of it all. And Peter, there's probably even some extra that you can buy your wife some flowers, probably a few extra outfits on top of that. I'm just going to bless you abundantly. Peter goes from from nothing to being skunked, to the nets breaking, to both boats sinking. Can you imagine Peter retelling this story? You know, fishermen, they tend to tell fish stories, right? Right? I mean, they tend to exaggerate a little bit. But but just imagine Peter telling this story. I I told this fish story before at Fred Anderson's funeral, but I'm going to tell you again. Fred Fred Anderson was a long-term member here. He had a ranch, and he had several ponds and places to fish, and and often he would invite me to come out. And and I remember this one time we came out, and, and I always had two rods, and, and there was one pond that, that was uh, stocked with catfish. And, and that's what I grew up fishing for. And so I had my one rod out and I put some bait on there and walked to the end of the, the dock. And I threw it out, waited a few minutes, nothing hit. So I scooted down the dock a little bit, brought my pole there. And then I started putting a worm on my other hook. And, and I was kind of watching that pole just to make sure there was no bites. And then suddenly... Suddenly, I mean, this fish just took that hook and that rod between my feet just hopped and it started going down the dock. And so here I am, I throw this other rod down and I'm trying to go for it and this fishing pole goes into the water. And and I've got to make a business decision at this point in time. My, My phone is in my pocket and I'm thinking, do I jump into the water and get that fishing pole and try to catch this big fish or do I get my my phone wet. Well, I chose to let the pole go, but I'm still regretting that decision because I, I just know that was like the biggest catfish ever. I mean, I, I have never seen anything take uh, my, my bait like that. For Fred Anderson, after hearing this, he just was laughing. He said, just imagine, I got a catfish with a rod and reel just pulling behind it. As amazing as this story was for me, and and imagine, and I just imagine this being like the biggest fish in the world, it was nothing compared to Peter's catch. I mean, the nets were breaking, two boats were sinking, it was at the wrong time, it was in the wrong depth, but Jesus, Jesus ends up doing this amazing miracle. Verse 8 says this, but Simon Peter saw it, and he fell down at Jesus' knees saying depart from me for I'm a sinful man O Lord for he and all who were with him were astonished and the catch of the fish that were they had taken and so also were James and John sons of Zebedee who were partners with Simon it's kind of a funny response right depart from me get away from me I mean, Jesus just blessed him with all this fish, uh, lots of things. I mean, he was going to get a lot of income from this. And, And Peter says, get away from me. Why did he say this? I think it's because he saw a glimpse of Jesus's holiness. We talk a lot about Jesus being approachable and loving and kind and compassionate. But Jesus is also holy. He, he's also all powerful. And, and sometimes when we see Jesus's holiness, it shows us our impurity. Peter says, Man, I'm a sinner. Jesus' holiness often is a mirror to our soul, to realize it, helping us realize, you know what? I am far from perfect. And, and when he sees Jesus and he sees his holiness, he was like, Man, I don't deserve to be in his presence. I mean, the fish obey him. He blesses me abundantly. When's the last time you've embraced the holiness of Jesus? When's the last time that you thought, man, Jesus is so amazingly holy and powerful? Notice this. It says, as we continue to read, And Jesus said to Simon, what? Don't be afraid. Well, when we come into the holiness of God, it it can be frightening. It can be scary. Matthew and Mark add this, follow me. For now, from now on, you will be what? Catching men. The Greek word actually is used for both men and women. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They were all in. They were committed. And Jesus calls these fishermen to be his disciples. But have you ever wondered why Jesus called at least four fishermen to be his, fish, or to be his disciples, to be his apostles, possibly more? Well, why not carpenters? I mean, Jesus was raised as a carpenter. Why not have some carpenters be the apostles? There were plenty of farmers in the area. Why not farmers? Why not shepherds? I mean, we see shepherds throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. I mean, we we see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Moses. All of them were good shepherds, excellent leaders. We see that Jesus calls himself the good shepherd in John chapter 10, verse 11. The New Testament instructs the church to appoint shepherds to, to help lead the church. And even after Peter's denial, Jesus tells him, go feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. But before Peter could become a shepherd, he had to become a fisher of men. And some of you are like, well, does it really matter? Maybe it doesn't. But maybe Jesus actually did this for a reason. I, I was reading a few scholars this week, and, and some of them said it was actually to fulfill prophecy. Jeremiah 16:16 says this. Behold I'm sending for behold I'm sending for many fishers declares the Lord and they shall catch them the many scholars believe that this is an ushering in of the new covenant coming that hey things are about to change the savior is about to be here the messiah is going to change everything have you ever noticed fishermen they're normally passionate They they, they will go anywhere to catch a fish. They will encounter any type of weather to catch fish. They study fish. They they try different baits. They'll do whatever it takes. I I remember one time, I think my oldest son, he was like four or five years old. And normally when I go to my parents' house in Arkansas, I tend to go get a three-day fishing license. And, And so one morning we got up and we went early and, man, it was cold. It was like below 32. The wind was gusting. And I said, man, I'm crazy for being out here. And, and, and little Elliot, man, he was bundled up and he had all of these things. And, but he wanted to fish. And, and so we were out at the Arkansas River. And, and I throw it in. Man, I'm not catching anything. And I said, okay, son, let me just throw it in one more time. And I threw it in. And, man, this big old catfish, this, we called them hammerheads. And, and, man, I start reeling it in. It's like five pounds. Man, it gives this huge fight. And, and we're holding it up, and man, Elliot's excited, and I'm excited, and I'm ready to keep on fishing, and Elliot's like, I'm done. We're going inside, Dad. <laughs> but I'm like, so just a couple more casts, and, and I threw it out a couple more times. He's like, Dad, you said only two more casts. That's it. Let's, we got to go. I'm freezing. I mean, our feet were frozen. Our hands were frozen. It, it, I get it. But You know, the same thing with, with, with fishing. Do we have that same passion For sharing Christ with others? Do do we have that same passion? I'm not saying trying to manipulate or trick someone into following Christ. But do we have that same passion that that we want to tell our story about how Jesus has changed our life? I, I love these old words from Paul Harvey. He said, Too many Christians are no longer fishers of men, but keepers of the aquarium. Too many Christians are no longer fishers of men, but keepers of the aquarium. We get so caught up into our little aquarium. We we like the people that we know, and we forget to tell others about Christ. We forget to tell others our story about how Christ has changed our life. Our job is not to be just aquarium keepers, but to also go and fish for men and women and children. Our church must never forget its mission. Our mission is to fish for men and women and children. It's not just a special activity for our ministers or for our elders or for our leaders. It's all of our responsibility. We want to be inviters. We believe that invitations can change the trajectory of someone's entire life. You you just never know what a simple invitation will do. I was driving around this week and, and I saw this little fish on the back of someone's car. They weren't driving exactly like they they should, but they still had the fish there. But that fish actually comes from this passage in Luke chapter 5. It's a Christian acoustic of the fish. The Greek word for fish is ichthus. And each of the five Greek letters stand for the beginning words, Jesus Christ, God, Son, and Savior. The next time you see that fish, I hope that it will be a reminder to you as well that we are to be fishers of men and women and children. I hope that it will reignite your passion for letting people know about Christ, that you'll be looking for opportunities to share your story.